this morning out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, it was Easter time back in April when I first passed out the surveys, and I said, if you wanted to, I would like for you to vote for your favorite passage out of the Bible. In fact, I said, if you want, you could vote for three. Some of you put one, some put three, some of you put five, some of you put ten. You had lots of favorites. We tabulated all of the votes. We had about 400 ballots come in. We've narrowed it down to the top ten. A couple of those top ten, though, were very close to each other in the same book of the Bible, so I've coupled them because I'd only planned eight weeks for the sermon series, so we'll cover your top ten in the next eight weeks. Number ten here, Jeremiah 29, 11. It is a verse of promise and of hope. The first passage in the Boston Avenue top ten is a, a verse of promise and hope. It's a word of encouragement that God is on our side, so to speak. But one of the commentators I read this week also said this about it. He said he thinks it's the most misused verse in the whole Bible. A pretty strong indictment. But he went on to say how he discovered this. He said growing up, this was one of his favorite passages. But there came a time in his life where he was unemployed. And for the first several weeks, this passage really bolstered his spirits. As as he made hundreds of phone calls, he said, after he'd sent out dozens of resumes and no response. But he would read this verse and think, God, it's going to take care of this. And then the weeks turned into months. And then the months turned into more months and still no job. And he began to think, what is God waiting for? I thought this was a promise that God's going to take care of me. That God's going to give me a future with hope, and I'm getting kind of depressed. He said finally he had a few interviews, but a year passed, and he still had no job. And he began to wonder, what is this passage really promising? And he said then it, when he discovered, going back to read more about the whole book of Jeremiah, how many people use this verse and take it out of context. He said when he actually began to study it, he began to see it in a whole different light. He realized that this is a prophecy and promise, and it comes from Jeremiah during a time when the majority of Jews are exiled in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar has come in and taken over, plundered Jerusalem. They're under siege. Most of the Jews have been taken back to Babylon. And there's a debate going on about where is God and how is God working in this. And some of the prophets are saying, this is going to be short-lived in two years. God is going to vindicate us and make this all right. But that's not what Jeremiah is thinking, and that's not what he thinks he's hearing from God. If you'll look with me, if you still have your Bibles open, look at chapter 29 of Jeremiah in verse 10. Right before where we began to read, Jeremiah says, For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years 
are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Seventy years. Jeremiah says, oh, this is not going to be over in two years. It's going to be 70 years. Now, most of us would think if we were in a difficult situation, if we were suffering and we were praying to God that God was going to fix it right away, we would think two years was a pretty long time to wait. But how about 70 years? Would you still trust in God? Jeremiah says it's going to be another 70 years. Frankly, most of us don't have that long. But right after he says it will be 70 years, then he says, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. But it may not be on our timetable. And that's what the commentator was saying, that so many use this verse 11 to say that God's going to do whatever we ask, whenever we ask it, just the way we imagine it. And he says that's not really what Jeremiah is saying at all but that we would have to conform ourselves to what God is doing because of the reality. Now the reality is that none of us can tell God when to act. Oh, we try, don't we, through our prayers, telling God what we need and when we need it. But Jeremiah is saying you can trust in God. God is at work for your good, but probably not on the timetable that you were thinking all this reminded me of the story that jim collins tells in the book good to great it's a book about how businesses thrive but he talks about admiral jim stockdale he said he had read a little bit about him and was hoping to meet him someday when he had an opportunity through a friend to actually have lunch with admiral stockdale admiral stockdale had been the highest ranking U.S. military personnel to be captured during the Vietnam conflict. He was a prisoner of war for eight years from 1965 to 1973. He was tortured over 20 times. He still limps today because of the brutality he experienced. Collins said he really wanted to talk to this man, felt like he was a great person to get to know. So he said, I wanted to read up a little more about him before we met for lunch, and I began to read about him. And he said, I found myself getting depressed as I read about all the things he experienced as a prisoner of war. He said, I, I felt my spirits just going lower and lower. And he said, I knew the outcome. I knew he survived. I knew he got to come home to his family, that he would be decorated as a war hero, but by the time I was done reading, I was down in the dumps. He said, I began to wonder, how did he do it? Living with such uncertainty, not knowing the end, enduring such brutality, such hardship. And so he asked Stockdale when he had opportunity to meet him, how did you survive all of that? And the admiral said, I never lost faith that in the end, I would prevail. And Colin said, well, who didn't make it? And he said, that's easy, the optimist. And Colin said he was really confused then because it sounded like Stockdale had just said you had to be optimistic. 
And Stockdale said, no, no, the Optimus, they were the, they were the ones who were captured in the fall and said, we'll be home at Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And we were still there. And then they would say, oh, Easter, we'll, we'll surely be home by Easter. Then Easter would come. Easter would go and we were still there. Then they would look to Thanksgiving. Then it would be Christmas again. He said they died of a broken heart. Colin said it was silent for a while between them. And then he said, let me tell you this very important lesson. And I put a quote in your outline from Stockdale. He says this, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality whatever they might be so as people of faith let us not confuse our belief that god is at work for our good with our ability to tell god when and how to act but that's how most of us pray. So how do we reconcile this? How does God's plan work? How does our interaction with God actually work out in our everyday life? Well, I think there's a few things we know we can give up. I think we can give up right away that anyone's life is going to be easy and pleasant throughout their lifetime. That just doesn't match with my experience nor anyone I know. That it's all going to be roses, that it's all going to be easy or fair or wonderful. We all have difficulties and hardships. We, we all go through pain. We all get discouraged. Often we're even hurt by those who are closest to us and those we love the most. So we can believe that God is at work for our good. But I don't think that translates into everything is always going to be easy for us. The other thing I think we can give up that lots of Christians seem to believe is that God has a single specific plan for our life. That somehow God knows where we're going and it's all predestined or predetermined. If that's the case, then I wonder why God gave us a brain. Because if God has already predetermined every specific, then my thoughts, my efforts... My discipleship make no difference. That doesn't make sense to me. The Bible talks about how important our relationship with God is and how important it is that we work on that relationship and that we think about and strive to follow Christ. So certainly my efforts must make a difference. And if everything's predetermined, another problem is that leaves a lot of evil at God's feet that happens in the world. If God has already pre-planned everything. So what can we say? I think we can say that God intends good for us. That's a strong theme throughout the Bible. And furthermore, that God is working for our good. But rather than saying that God has a single specific plan, I think we describe life experience more closely if we suggest that God has given us options 
And we have a choice. And the choices we make do make a difference and do have some impact on the direction of our lives. Now, that's still a little bit limited because there's lots of other people making choices that also impact our lives and sometimes wreck our lives, sometimes lift our lives. But you get the idea that God is at work with us as we go through our lives and God gives us choices and based on what we choose, God is able to work with us in different ways. Still very complex. Let me see if I can give you a picture that I think really helps out. Leslie D. Weatherhead was a great Methodist pastor in England in the last century. He wrote a number of books. Probably his most popular one is called The Will of God, where he tackles this whole subject. But he also has another book called Time for God. And in that book, he tells a story out of his own life. When he was a young man and fulfilling his military service and had been sent overseas, he said during that time he had opportunity one day to go on a tour of the area where he was serving where he'd been posted with a guide and he took him to a place where they were making Persian carpets and said he walked in and there was this great large loom and this carpet that was in process was being made and he said on one side was the artistic director who was directing how this was to work and on the back side there were platforms with people standing on the platforms and the artist was telling them how to do the stitches he says it all went great, but despite their best efforts, sometimes the folks on the platforms would make a wrong stitch or a wrong series of stitches, and then what to do? And Weatherhead says his guide told him that the greatest of the artists that make these Persian carpets don't have them pull that stitching out, but rather they begin to imagine how they can work that into the pattern. He said, now it may change the pattern, but it doesn't have to change the beauty of the final product. He said, you know, on the backside for the workers, you can't see much of a plan or a pattern. And in fact, the workers don't even get to see the design until it's completely done. And then they're invited to come around and stand with the artist and look at what their efforts combined with the direction of the artist have accomplished. Wesley, I mean, Weatherhead said this really helped him. I want to read you a quote that he writes about that experience. He says, the experience became a parable for me, working as we do in positions from which we can see little plan or pattern or purpose in human life. The great artist, nevertheless, is weaving all into meaningfulness and at the end of the day will take us to a point from which we can see all he has done with our sorrows, our frustrations, and our pain, whether caused by our own mistakes and sin or by those of others. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. It is indeed a verse of promise and of hope that God is at work in our lives for good. But the hope lies not in the circumstances, but our hope lies in the belief about who our God is and the nature of our God. 
We don't have to have one set of circumstances or another. As people of faith, we can believe that God is at work in all circumstances, whether we understand why that's all happening at the time or not. And then I want us to look at verse 12 and 13 before we finish. Right after Jeremiah has said this line that is so hopeful, then in verse 12, he goes on to say, Call upon me and come and pray to me, says the Lord. I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me, says the Lord. As I read through that, I thought what great counsel for us as we're working to discern where God is and how God is at work. But I also thought that sounds so familiar. I thought, doesn't that sound like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about asking and searching and knocking? You remember in chapter 7 of Matthew, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And just before that in Matthew, Jesus talks about our inclination toward being people who worry too much, worry about our material and our physical well-being and jesus says the key is not to worry but to strive first for god and god's righteousness or god's kingdom some translations say or an older translation seek ye first the kingdom of god and god's righteousness and all these other things will be added as well we trust in god the center of our life is to be our relationship with God and when that's in the center then all these other things will fall into their proper place and perspective oh Jeremiah has captured one of the great themes of the Bible encouraging us and telling us that God is at work for our good our role is to seek strive or search for God to make sure that we're actively pursuing that relationship and doing our part in having a vital relationship with God. When we do that, then we can understand verse 11, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Amen.